Well, we're going to be over in the book of Luke chapter 2 this morning, Luke chapter 2. During the Christmas pageant, there was a child who had been forced into the program by his parents. You probably never know what that was like, but didn't want to be in the Christmas pageant, but mom and dad wanted the boy to be in the Christmas pageant, so he was forced to be in the Christmas pageant. And all through the practice times and all through the times they would get together, he kept voicing all his concerns and all his doubts and all his wonderings about the Christmas story and the things like that. He'd say things like, how can people believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And just what makes everyone believe that this is the way to heaven? Well, finally, he said, how do we know that he was the Messiah and that he was the way to get to heaven? How do we know that? And so one little girl piped up and she said, well, we know that because of the song. <laughs> and he said, what song? And she said, you know the song, we sing it all the time. Away in a manger. The way to heaven. It's amazing the things that we hear sometimes. We don't always hear away in a manger. We hear, sometimes when we're little, away in a manger. We all heard the same thing, but we sometimes hear it a little bit differently. Spirit of God speaks to us on a regular basis. We've entitled this series, Discerning the Voice of God. We need to not only discern it is His voice, but what His voice is saying to us. Because sometimes we hear the wrong thing. Last week we took a look at the Christmas story, and we look at how the Lord spoke to a few of the people. Joseph had a dream, and Mary had a vision. Vision, of course, happens when you're awake. A dream happens when you are asleep. Vision, seeing that angel show up, be right there, that's pretty drastic, that's pretty real. We were going over that, you know, a lot of us would like to have that. But the greater, Brother Hagin used to always tell us, the greater the revelation, the greater the test or trial or tribulation. So if you, have, you get a greater revelation, just know the test or trial is going to make that revelation seem hard to obey. Can you imagine having a revelation of an angel showing up and telling you you were going to give birth to the Messiah and that tests and trials are going to come to make you even doubt that? Brother Hagin used to always tell us, he said, I thank God for the still small voice. Because when you get a still small voice, it's uh, the, t the test, the trial, things that are coming, they're not as bad. They don't seem to be as as, uh, as huge. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 22, we're going to see another way during the Christmas story that people heard from God. In Luke 2 verse 22, now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, God picked this guy out and, and, and spoke to him and says, look, Simeon, you are not going to die until you see the Messiah. That's, that's pretty neat. 
they've been waiting for a long time for Messiah to come. Long, long time. They kept looking and looking and looking. He's not coming. He's not coming. He's not coming. And finally, Simeon gets this words. Simeon, you're not going to die until you see him. Now, we don't know how he got the word. Apparently, there was no vision and there was no dream. It just said it had been revealed. God spoke it to him somehow. You know that most things that are revealed to us are just spoken to us in our spirit. And down in his spirit, I assume, he got this, you know what? You're not going to die until you see Messiah. That's got to be exciting. I don't know that he went around and told everybody about that. Doesn't seem like he did. Seems like he kept it to himself. And he hung on to this. Now, why would he get this? this, Why would God speak this to him? Most of us would look at this as because he was just or because he was devout. Because for us, they're the qualifiers. If God is going to do something extra special for me or for someone, it's because I'm more just than the rest. Or I'm more devoted than the rest. Something about me is head and shoulders above the rest. But I think the big thing was he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for it. He's looking. He says, I I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I know Messiah's coming. Some people in Israel probably stopped waiting. They waited for a while and I don't think he's ever coming. But he was waiting for the consolation of of Israel. And it had been revealed to him. Had been, past tense. Now he's getting up there in age. You might be thinking, well, how much longer am I going to live? Is it, is it really going to happen during my lifetime? How many of you all know the enemy comes along, whatever revelation you get, the enemy comes along to try to speak to you against it and tell you it's not going to happen? Well, the enemy would certainly come against him and say, it's not going to happen. You missed it. It probably already happened. You're probably not going to live long enough to see it. Whatever it is, whatever way he can come, he doesn't care what way, as long as he can get you to doubt the word that God gave you. No matter how the revelation comes, the enemy is out to try and undermine it. God may speak something to you in his word. And when he speaks it to you in his word, the devil's out there to try and undermine the word. If he speaks something to you in your spirit, he's going to be out to try and undermine what you heard in your spirit. If he speaks something to you in a dream... He's going to try and undermine what you heard in the dream, what you thought you saw in the dream. He's going to try and undermine what you had in the vision. Whatever it is, he's going to come against you. And no, he's going to come against you with everything. Everything he's got, he's going to come against you. Jesus told us that persecution would come to us because of the word. That the word in us would draw persecution. Whether that word comes from revelation of the written word, whether that word comes because God spoke something to us, whatever it is, the word is going to draw attention. People are going to be focused on you. If you watch any football today, attention is always on the person who has the ball. The camera people are on the person who has the ball. The defense is focused on the person who has the ball. The offense is focused on the person who has the ball. They may know who the ball is supposed to go to. But the attention is on the person who has the ball. Just picture the word, the revelation you got as the ball. And that just brings attention to you. There's a real easy way to get rid of that attention. Drop the ball. Drop the revelation. Get rid of it. But see, Simeon didn't do that. 
he held on to it. He kept waiting for the consolation of Israel. That had been revealed to him. He goes on here in verse 27. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. How do you do that? All the times that you've read this, how do you, how do you see this happening? He came by the Spirit. How, many of you, how did you get here today? How many of you came by car? You came by car. That's not by the Spirit, is it? You get in the car, you start it up, you go over here. We think he came by Spirit. What, did the Spirit of God pick him up and just kind of hover him over the earth? Drop him off at the temple? I need you at the temple today. How, did, how do you come by the Spirit? Well, his job is to be at the temple. He does things at the temple. He's, he serves at the temple. He's, he's there a lot. But you're not there all the time. There are times, even when you are a person who does things in the temple, that you're home. There's times you've got to go out and shop for food. There's times you've got to clean the house. There's times you've got to mow the lawn. There's times you're sleeping. There's days that you probably have that are off. So he's not there all the time. But apparently this time, the Word of God specifically said that he's there by the Spirit. That the Spirit said, you need to be at the temple today. And so, he gets up and he walks to the temple. Because that's how you get to the temple. You walk there. But by the Spirit, the Spirit of God told him, get to the temple. Get to the temple. God gave him the revelation. You are going to see Messiah. And God knows Messiah is on his way. Because Mary's already given birth to him. We've got to bring him down to the temple to do the offering and the sacrifice. So God knows he's on the way. Simeon, you need to get... He doesn't say to him, Simeon, Messiah's coming. You need to get over to the temple. He just says, go over to the temple. He just feels something on the inside of him. I need to get over to the temple. It says, by the Spirit simply because he probably wasn't scheduled to be there. Otherwise, it would have said by the schedule he was there. And sometimes it has said that in the Word of God that people were scheduled to be there on that day and they were there. But this time, he's not scheduled. He's just there by the Spirit because the Spirit came up on the inside and said, get over to the temple. I don't know why I'm supposed to be over to the temple today. So he goes over to the temple. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And it, wouldn't it be great if when God sends you someplace, He tells you why you're there? I don't know if you ever had that, but sometimes God sends you to a place and you don't know why you're there. It's happened in the Bible a few times too. We talked about this not too long ago. Peter was up on the rooftop meditating on some things. A vision came on down about the uh, food, unclean items. And God says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. You know the story that went on with that. And after he was pondering that vision, determining about what it meant, the Spirit of God said to him, some men are going to come. They're going to call for you. I want you to go with them. So, certainly, three men came. They called for him. He uh, says, all right, stay here tonight. We're going to leave in the morning. We're going to head on over. So, he goes on over to the house. And he says, all right, I'm here because God gave me this vision. Told me it was okay. I'm supposed to be here. Um, what do you want to know? And they said, hey, this is great. We asked God for you to come. What are you going to tell us? So, you got Peter there who wants to know why they called him. And you got a bunch of people there that are saying, we're ready for whatever it is you have to say to us. But Peter wasn't given anything to say. Peter was not told anything to say. And they didn't have any questions for him. Go back to the story in Acts and take a look at it. They had no questions for him. Peter's like, come on, what, what do you want? Uh, we're here to hear what you have to say. 
And so Peter, it's the word of God says it this way. Peter opened his mouth. <laughs> now, usually that was bad. <laughs> but he opened his mouth and the Spirit of God filled it. And he spoke things and it was a wonderful sermon and blessed the people that were there, blessed Peter, and good things happened. Why was he there? Because the Spirit of God told him to go. He had nothing more. The Spirit of God told him to go. He went. He was obedient when he was there. didn't seem to be obvious what he was supposed to do. But by the Spirit, his mouth was filled. He spoke some things. Remember, Paul was wandering around, wondering where he should go. He had ministered to the gospel message in a few places, and he thought, well, that's going over to Asia. And the Spirit of God forbid him to go. Don't go there. And then he was going to go over here. Then he, he felt hindered by the Spirit of God to go there. And then he had that dream. And he said there was a man of Macedonia calling to him to come to him. He perceived that meant that he was supposed to go to Macedonia. So he and Silas picked up and they went over to Macedonia. Got there and had nothing but trouble. That wasn't a great revelation. Didn't even necessarily say come to Macedonia. He just perceived that's what was happening. And they had some trouble when they got there. But they didn't give in to trouble. Goes on in verse 27. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, they had to bring him in so that they could go through all this, all the sacrifice and dedication. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, he saw the baby coming on in to, to, be, to, to be. Now, there's other people probably on duty, but he steps up, says, I, I got this one, guys. Take it easy. Because <laughs> he recognized it right off the bat. He saw it. As soon as the child came in, he saw what was going on. I know what's going on. This is, this is I think, yeah. Takes the baby and he says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Picked up the baby, held that baby, and he says, now I can go. I've been hanging on all this time. I've been waiting because you said I would not die until I saw the consolation of Israel. I wouldn't go. And he says, now I can go. I've seen it. And yet, this baby was not any more remarkable than any other baby. If you looked at the baby, it didn't glow. Probably cried at times when the other babies cried. There's nothing that set it apart. But he saw in the spirit because he's listening. And he heard it down on the inside of him. In his spirit came up. That's the one. That's the one you've been waiting for. He has nothing visible to go in this. And Mary and Joseph have not said anything about this. They're not going around talking about the visions and dreams they've had. That's not the thing that they're doing. People don't know about all that. They kept it in their heart. Even here it says they kept this in their heart. They pondered it. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Well, why would you marvel? If you went up to Simeon and said, this is the son of God. You know, I had the vision. I had the dream. Angels showed up shepherds all this and they told him all the story well then he just going off and he would he would say this but they marveled because they told him nothing and yet out of his mouth all this is spoken and they're looking at each other and say, how does he know 
How does he know all this? Wow. Well, he didn't stop there. He went on. See, he's in there by the Spirit. And the Spirit of God continues to, to minister to him and to give him things to say. And so he, now he begins to prophesy. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Now you, you read that and you think, man, what is he saying? Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Why would the Son of God cause people to fall? It's simply this, and the Word of God tells us as we, we get into the Word of God that he would be a stumbling block to some, even though he would be a cornerstone, which God would build all things. Those who reject Jesus Christ, those who rejected the Messiah, would fall and come to defeat and go to hell. But there would be those who would be rising. There would be those who would believe. Believe in the way of Messiah. Believe on the cross that he died on. Believe in Jesus as Savior. And they would be rising. And didn't that, isn't that how it planned out? Weren't there many in Israel who just couldn't accept that he was the Messiah? Weren't there many in Israel who did accept that he was the Messiah and went on? Aren't there many today who accept that he is the Messiah? Aren't there many today who accept that he is not the Messiah? Who don't believe that he is the Messiah? He is still responsible for the rising and fall of many. And as people believe on him, or as people disbelieve on him, they will either rise or they will fall. Because Jesus is the way. The only way. Jesus came out and said this later on. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. There is no other way. There is no, you can't be good enough. You can't just pick any religion you want. You can't just serve God any way you want. He is the way. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Well, you think about that sign back over in the, in the, in the Gospels. And this is all over in the, in the Gospels. This word is used for sign. But in particular, if you went over to John chapter 2 and verse 11, it says the beginning of signs. Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, the manifestation of his glory and his the disciples believed in him. Some of the things that would be signs would be the healings, and the miracles that he did. That's not all, but that's some of them. These are signs that he would do. When Jesus did these signs and he healed people, miracles went on, water was turned into wine, all these different things. Were there not people who used them against him? Weren't there religious leaders who rose up and said, you heal on the Sabbath, that's wrong. You heal by the power of Satan. So he's prophesying things he's getting from God about this. And for a sign which will be spoken against. So behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That word for sword is very curious. The only time this word is used in the Gospels is here. 
The only time this word is used in the New Testament is here and in one other book. Only one other book in the entire New Testament uses this particular word for sword. It is the book of Revelation. It uses the word for sword when it speaks about the sword that came out of the mouth. In, uh, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, I'm just going to read a few of these for you. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth when a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Revelations 2 and 12, And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Jesus is speaking again. And talks about a sword. In verse 16 of the same chapter, Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Three times this word sword is used for the sword that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. And it is the one time in the New Testament outside of the book of Revelation where this word is used. Now here's what you got. Simon, or Simeon, is speaking a prophecy and using a word that no other New Testament writer uses except for John. And John uses it when the Lord Jesus Christ and when those in heaven spoke it. Isn't that kind of curious? No one thought to use this word in any of the conversations they had in the, in the Bible or in any of the writings, any of the teachings that they did. But Simeon does it in the prophecy. And when John is in heaven, he hears this word being used. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 8, it's the only time it's not used in relation to Jesus Christ. So, he, so I looked and behold, a pale horse... And the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed with him. The power was given to, to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. Revelation 19 and 15 is the only other time we see, and then once again it's talking about, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. So he prophesies this word about this sword that would come out, but he speaks specifically about this sword as... As coming against one in particular. Let's go back to the, to the verse. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Who's he speaking to? Back up in verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. He's not speaking to Joseph. He's speaking to Mary, his mother. And he says to Mary, his mother. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. When he's up there on that cross, dying for humanity, what do you think she went through as a, mo as a mom? So he spoke of this, that she would be there when he is being crucified. And that sword would even go through her. And the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Oh, isn't that to happen? Doesn't that happen? When Jesus ministered, how many times did he reveal the thoughts of people. When they were at the cross, how many thoughts that people had were revealed, were brought out? How many times did that happen? Good thoughts, bad thoughts, whatever they, whatever they were, they became revealed. How many times did his disciples have not necessarily bad thoughts, just thoughts, and Jesus revealed them? Spoke to them. What a prophecy. Now think about this. What if Simeon had not listened to the voice on the inside of him that said, get over to the temple? 
If Simeon had not listened to the voice that came up on the inside of him that said, get over to the temple, if he had not gone over to the temple by the Spirit, would he have seen Messiah? Here's the thing we've got to get down, folks. Just because God spoke something to you doesn't mean it will happen if you are disobedient. I'll give you another example. Can't ever just take anything off of one example. Here's another example out of Scripture. Jesus, or God spoke to the children of Israel, I will take you to a promised land. He took them up to the promised land. They sent the spies in. They came back, gave a bad report, and people said, we're not going in. And God says, that's it. You've tested me all these times. I'm not taking you in. You're not going. Did God promise it to him? Did God say, you're going to go into the promised land? Sure did. But see, their disobedience kept them out. Jeroboam was given a promise. If you will follow after me, I will make of your house an enduring house just like the house of David. When the kingdom was separated into the north and south, and he was given the, uh, the northern ten tribes. And as soon as he was given the throne, he said to himself, Now the children of Israel will go back to David if they continue to go down to Jerusalem to sacrifice. So he made golden calves. He put one up in Dan and one in Beersheba. And he said, These are your gods, O Israel. Worship them. And some people left the northern tribes of Israel and went down into the south because they didn't want to go after a false worship. It was a false worship of God. They didn't want to go after that. They didn't want to pursue that. But some stayed. And then a prophet was sent to Jeroboam and says, All right, we're not going to do that. There was a promise that was given, but it was never revealed because he was disobedient. Just because a promise has been given to you, it does not mean it will come about if you are disobedient. You need to follow after the voice of God. The greater the promise, the greater level of obedience on your part. You need to follow after what God said to do. Don't shirk on your end of the responsibility. You need to listen. You need to hear. We entitled this, uh, this lesson, Using Your Inside Voice. How many of you were told when you were kids, when you would be speaking inside the house as if you were outside the house? And your mom, very seldom dads, but usually the mom, would say, hey, use your inside voice. What's your inside voice? It's quieter. It's quieter. <laughs> it's, it's down a couple of notches. Outside, you've got to raise the volume because there's not as much reverberating off of walls and stuff. But inside, you've got to be quieter. You've got to learn how to tone that down. You've got to use your inside voice. Folks, we have an inside voice. It's the voice of the Spirit on the inside. It's not always loud. Most of the time, it's still and it's quiet. We need to use that voice. We need to hear what that voice is saying. Simeon heard what that voice was saying when it was revealed to him, you will not die until you see Messiah. And then he used that inside voice again. When the Spirit of God came up and said, get over to the temple. Get over to the temple. And he probably didn't notice it as anything really traumatic or special or anything of God. Just go over to the temple. In the same way, you're going to have the Spirit of God speak to you. Go over to the store. I really don't need anything at the store right now. Have you ever had that? I really don't need anything at the store. Why should I go over to the store? And you talk yourself out of doing whatever it is that... Or maybe God would say... You know, go into work. I'm not scheduled to be at work. Why would I go into work? I don't need to be at work. But it came coming up and go into work. 
Or maybe it might be to, to not go someplace. Just this, a voice on the inside. Not sure what. What does that mean? I'm not supposed to. I don't feel like I'm supposed to, to do that right now. I heard a story uh, it was related to me of a, of a pastor who had scheduled a vacation to go over into, um, I believe it was Indonesia. And they had scheduled it around Christmas. They were all going to head on over Christmas time and go over to Indonesia. And they were, they were going. And every, all the kids were excited. The mom was excited. Dad was excited. They were all excited about going on over to the, to the place. And, and it came up in his spirit. Cancel the trip. Well, you know, it's going to cost you money to cancel a trip like that. It's, it's not going to be, Cancel the trip. Uh, all right. So he, he canceled the trip. He came to his family and says, we're not going. Now, you know, that wasn't very popular. Kids, what do you mean we're not going? We're supposed to go. We're, we're, we're looking forward to going. We want to go. And, and, and even his, his wife was not on board. Not on board. No, we need to go. We want to go. What do you mean? I, I don't feel good about it in my spirit. We're not supposed to go. That's when the tsunami hit and the beaches were wiped out right where they were supposed to be. How many stories did you hear of the World Trade Towers of people who just felt in their spirit, don't go into work, stay home? Or we knew one, one uh, person in particular, um, their, uh, their brother went to, worked in the Trade Towers and never happened before, overslept his alarm. And by the time he got ready and got everything going to, to get over, the Trade Towers had already been under attack. Otherwise, he would have been in the building. There's a voice on the inside of you that will come up and it will speak some things. We need to learn how to listen to that voice. We need to learn how to use our inside voice. The story goes on. It doesn't stop here. In uh, verse 36, Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age. I mean, she was old. wasn't just old, she was really old. Now, I was going to tell us approximately how old she was. And had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. So, we'll just use round numbers here. Say that they got, and they got married a lot younger back then. Say she got married at, at 13, which is not uncommon. For those folks in that age. If she got married around 13, if she was married for seven years and she became a widow at age 20. If she was a widow at age 20 and was a widow for 84 years, that puts her at 104 years old. When they said she's of great age. 104, that's pretty, if she was 14 or 15 or 16 when she got married, then she's even older. I don't think they would have got, maybe maybe get married at 12, I don't know. I don't know how old they they were when they got married, but I think 13 is kind of young, but, you know, they probably didn't think so back then. And the woman was a widow for about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Now, she was in the temple all the time. I don't know if she lived there. I don't know if she lived close to it, but she was there quite a bit. But she's in there fasting and praying. And over in one of the rooms in the temple is going on this dedication service the sacrifice with Jesus, the Messiah, with Simeon. And she feels compelled to go into the, not the room where she is praying and fasting and doing all the, she feels compelled to go into this room. It comes up on the inside her. Go into this room. She goes into that room. And coming in that instant, 
she just happened to get this thing on the insider. Ah, I need to go into this room. Well, I don't really work in that room. That's uh, you know, it's other people's room. That's where they do the sacrifice. I'm more in the praying and fasting area. We go over here, but felt compelled to go into this room. And she goes into that particular room, and in that instant, just as she comes through, she sees. Coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. She recognized it just like Simeon did, recognized it right off the bat. Ah, that's Messiah. That's Messiah. And just happened to come into the room at the instant that all this is going on. How does that happen? And she spoke not to all those, but those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. Because not everybody looked for the redemption. So when they performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city. Nazareth and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now we bring up these two particular stories because a lot of times our focus and our attention is on people who have visions and people who have dreams. But here are two instances where this is a great thing that has happened and nothing spectacular has happened at all. They just happen to be in the right place at the right time because they listen to the spirit on the inside of them to be in a, in a certain place. There are some other instances. We've covered these in the past. We'll go over them here again for you here. But in Luke chapter 1, we find out why Luke wrote the Bible that he wrote. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. If you want to actually add this up, people who go out there and they say Paul wrote most of the New Testament are ignorant. They don't know what they're talking about. Luke wrote more New Testament than any single author. He wrote two books, but his two books are long. They are long books. And if you add them up, he wrote more than Paul. Paul wrote more epistles. Luke wrote more words. And he's a Gentile. But why did he come to write? Here's where we find out. Luke chapter 1. He tells us right off the bat. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been, have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus that you may know the, cert the certainty of these, those things in which you were instructed. What he is saying here is this. There's a whole bunch of people who have written things down about what happened with Jesus. And I happen to be one of the people who was there from the beginning. Luke, a Gentile, was there from the beginning. And I've seen all this stuff. I have understanding of it because I was there. I saw this stuff come out. So I thought, hey... Seems good to me to go put this stuff down on paper. Can you imagine that? The Gospel of Luke is written because, you know, it seems like a good idea to write this stuff down. The book of Acts is written because it seemed good to Luke. You know, I think we ought to write this stuff down. No vision, no dream, no lightning bolt, nothing. It just, you know, seems like it'd be a good idea. We went ahead and did this. How many times have we had things going on inside of us? You know, it seems like a good idea if I went ahead and, and you go out there and you do that. It just seemed nothing spiritual about it. It just seemed like yeah, it might be a good idea if I did that. You know, you might be getting dinner ready. You know, yeah, It just seems like a good idea to put on an extra box of pasta. 
I don't know why. Then it seems like it all went away or extra people came over or something like that. It just seemed like you didn't feel like you were being led by God. It just seemed like a good idea. That was Luke. Silas, how many of y'all know when Paul split up with Barnabas, who did he take on as a partner? Silas. And they became a powerful team. Do you know why Silas was available? Over in Acts chapter 15, verse 32. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. These are folks who came over when they had, uh, uh, you know, what should we make Gentiles do? And they went over to Jerusalem and they had that uh, whole council and they sent stuff back. And we've covered that before in the book of Acts. And um, I'll tell you what, James wrote some nasty stuff. That it's just, and Paul didn't have a whole lot of respect for it. We've gone, covered a lot of those things, but it made, the, made the, uh, the scripture. We got the list of four things you're supposed to do, only one of which was scriptural. He's asking them to do three things that weren't even in the Bible. But that's James for some of the issues that he had. Thank God. God can use us even when we have issues. So anyway, he sent this list of four things over and they delivered it to the, to the folks and they read the thing. And uh, Jude, uh, James sent Judas and Silas along with Paul and Barnabas to go back and to relay all this stuff with them. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. So Judas and Silas came from Jerusalem to Antioch to deliver this message and they stayed there a few days interacting with them, teaching them, giving them some things and then afterwards they said, alright, well this time has been great but you all need to get back and so they sent them back, you guys going back home here's a message you can give to James, here's a message you can give to the church in Jerusalem, thanks again for coming on out here and, and being part of this and helping us out, however it seemed good to Silas to remain there so they're getting ready to go, their bags are packed getting ready to head out the door to go on back to Jerusalem. And Silas says, you know, it just seems like a good idea if I stay here. Judas, do you mind if you just make the trip by yourself and I stay here? I don't know. I, I may follow you in a, in a little while. I, it just seems like it's a good idea for me to stay here. I'm just not ready to leave yet. How many of you have ever felt that on vacation? You're out there on vacation. You're there. You know, you're supposed to be out going for five, six, seven days. And on the seventh day, it just seemed good to you not to go home can't always do that, but Silas was able to do that. He just said, you know, I'm just going to stay here. I, well, what are you going to do? I, I don't know. I don't really have anything to do. I know my job's waiting for me back over there, and the church is waiting for me back over there. i got things i got to do in there, but, you know, just tell them I'll be along in a while, I, I, I guess. I, it just feels like I should stay here for just a little bit longer. Are you going to do it? I don't know that I have anything to do. No one's really approached me to do anything. I just, I just feel like I need to stay here. That's all it says. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Can you imagine this? You are in a strange city, a city you've probably never been in before. It's a Gentile city. And it's, it just seems like, I had to stay here for a little while. Just think of it this way. If you were over here and we want, your company wanted to send a message to another company, that's, let's just pick a city that's over in, uh, across the way. Let's just pick London. And you went over to London and you were delivering this message and afterwards... You're supposed to get on the plane and come back to the company and do things. But it just seems like a good idea to stay here. Over, but what are you going to do? We don't have a branch office over here. You know, you, I don't know. It just seems like I ought to stay here for a little while. And you just stay. Just on the basis of that. Can you imagine that? Then the next verse picks up. And Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. They, uh, then after some days, so a number of days had transpassed and Silas is still there. Paul probably saw him. Silas, I thought you left. No, no. 
I'm still here. How come you stayed around? I'm not sure. I just feel like I ought to stick around here and just didn't feel like everything was done yet, so I just stayed here. All right, well, if I can help out with anything, you know, you let me know. And so, a number of days, Paul says to Barnabas, Hey, let's go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord. See how they're doing. And Barnabas was determined to take with him John Mark. That's a relative of his. But Paul insisted that they should not take with him the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the, to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed being co- commanded by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthened the churches. Do you know why we have the account of Paul going through his missionary journey and not the account of Barnabas? Because Barnabas missed God and Paul didn't. No, because Luke went with Paul. That's why we got it. Luke can't write about what he's not there for. He's with Paul. You, you go through the book of Acts, he's always with Paul. He, he had a choice. I either go with Barnabas or I go with Paul. And he said, I'm going to go with Paul. And so that's why we had that part written up, written about. And people have taught about this. They think Paul missed it. And I, I don't think Paul missed it at all. I think Barnabas missed it. That's my opinion on the thing. You have a different opinion. You're more than welcome to have it. God will tell you that I was right when you get to heaven. Uh, Barnabas went home back home. And it seemed like Barnabas was killed there as a martyr. And he didn't get uh, very much further with, with all that. But Mark continued to go on. There was no reason for Paul to take Mark. Mark had shown he's not ready for frontline gospel in the previous one. It's not that he would never be ready. He just showed he's not ready yet. And Paul's basically saying, we're front lines. He needs to go in some of the back line stuff and get himself ready. And he did that. He got himself ready. And Paul eventually wrote and said, you know what? He's got he's some use for me now. Go ahead and send him. Why? Because John Mark did some things to get, get himself ready. But Paul had no business taking somebody who couldn't take it. Paul's in the front line ministry. They need people they can depend on. I don't fault Paul at all for, for saying, I'm not going to take John Mark. But it is, it's Barnabas that split up the team. Because Barnabas is the one who is determined to take John Mark. Didn't say God told him to. He said he determined to take John Mark. And Paul says, look, you want to take John Mark, you go ahead, you go over there, but I'm not going that way. We'll go a different direction. And so then Paul begins to look around. Who am I going to take? I need to take somebody along with a, a partner and to go. But Paul chose Silas and departed. How long has he known Silas? <laughs> a week. <laughs> Maybe two. He hasn't known him all that long, but he's, he's seen something in Silas. Silas is ready for front line. And, and Paul comes up to Silas and says, Silas, you want to go on with me to the, to the missionary journey? Silas says, that seems good to me. <laughs> and he goes along. He goes along with it. Why is Silas there? Nope, no vision, no dream. God didn't say, thus saith the Lord, Paul shall come to thee. And asked thee to go with him. Didn't do any of that. It just seemed good. And Paul asked him, said, you want to go? Let me see. Yeah, it seems like a good idea. I think I'll go. And he went. And they made quite a team. They were a good team. Probably even better than Paul and Barnabas. They were a dynamic team. We have more stuff coming out of that second missionary journey than we did in the first. Go back and look at the book of Acts. And check it out. Some good stuff happened on the first one, but I'll tell you what, that second one, they, they faced some things, they overcame some stuff, and Silas was there. He's a good partner for Paul. And he's only there because it seemed good to go, to, to, to stay. 
Paul chose Silas and departed, being commanded by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. <clears throat> now, there's some other instances on this, too. In John chapter 1, verse 43, it reads this way, The following day Jesus went to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Why does Philip follow Jesus? Does he have a vision? Does he have a dream? Nothing is told about that. So I guess it just seemed like it was a good idea. But Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? In other words, Messiah is not supposed to come out of Nazareth. He's supposed to come out of Bethlehem. Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? How do you know that I am not a person full of deceiver? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Ooh. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. <laughs> Before, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? Is that what he's saying? Holy cow, this is the Messiah. This is it. <laughs> wow, I found him. And Jesus said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. <laughs> How did Jesus know that about Nathaniel? Came up on the inside of his spirit. How did Jesus know that the soldiers were coming when he was in the garden? How did he know that? The disciples didn't know. They, they, if there was something to hear, they didn't hear it. How did he know? Came up in his spirit. Amazing the things that can come up in our spirit. I put this in your outline for you. To do anything well, you must, there's three things here. To do anything well, you must do three things. Learn, practice, and train. You must learn, you must practice, and you must train. If you are going to do anything in the natural or in the spirit, whatever it is, you've got to learn, you've got to practice, and you've got to train. Learning is when you take in the knowledge of how to do the thing. Whatever it is you're going to do, you learn how to do it. Practice is when you go through the motions of doing whatever it is that you are supposed to do. And then training is doing something different, but it helps you to get ready for what you want to do. Now, we'll give you some examples on that. First off, you know, you, if you're going to learn about something, whatever it might be, if, you were, uh, if you're going to play the piano or play an instrument, if you were going to uh, go into the military and do something in there, if, you were going, if you're going to take on a job for a company, whatever it might be, there's learning in order to be able to do the job. You've got to learn to do it. If you're going to go into the military, they put you through training. Or they put you through, you've got to read books. You gotta, how do you do this? If you're in the military, there are training exercises. In the training, uh, in the uh, training exercise, what you are doing is practicing war. Right? You ever see? I mean, we've seen the movies. They have the training exercises. They have gunfire going on around. You're supposed to crawl under the wires, and gunfire is going on above you. Some of the training exercises are done with live ammunition. In other words, there are real bullets flying around. And you're training with this 
It's a controlled area. But this is what you would call practice. We are practicing going to war. That's what, that's what you're doing. If, if you were taking up the piano, how many of you did this when you're, you're young? You had a song and you practiced it. When you practiced that song, I don't know if I took up the piano. My parents tried to get me to play the piano. I practiced some songs. I know for a fact that when you practice a song on the piano, it does not sound like the real thing. It sounds something like it. You know, your, your speed is off. You're hitting the wrong note here and there, but you're practicing. You're trying to do it. But then there is training. In the training is one, if you're playing the piano, you do scales. So you're getting your fingers used to the keys. There's no song involved. You're just training. If you're in the military, you're doing sit-ups. When on the battlefield do you ever have to do a sit-up? When on the battlefield do you ever have to do a push-up? You don't have to do... No, one's, no one squats on the battlefield and gives me 20. No one does that. It's a training, or it's a, it's a, it's a training time. There's practice when you are going through what is a simulation of the real thing. And then there is a training when you're doing things that just get you ready. The push-ups, the sit-ups, all those things just make your body stronger so that when you're out there doing the thing, your body has the strength to accomplish it. And then you go back and you learn some things. There's learning, there's practice, and there's training. Whatever it is that you do, there's learning, there's practice, and there's training. If you want to get good at it. If you only practice and you don't train, your body won't be able, you won't be strong enough. If you're playing an instrument, you won't be ready. Your fingers won't be able to, to work the instrument. You'll get tired too soon. If you don't go through the training, if you don't go through the practice, if you don't go through the learning, you won't ever become great at it. But the people who become great learn constantly. They're always learning. What, who can I learn from? If you're a piano player, if you're a violin player, you learn from other piano players, other violin players. If you're in the military, you learn from other generals. You learn from other people that were in the military. You learn from other battles. You, you study things. You, you take these things in so that you can learn how to do it. Whatever it is that you do, you learn, you train, you practice. You keep doing these things. But in the area of the Spirit, folks, we don't tend to do all those things. We've let it go. And so the still small voice that's on the inside of us, that it seemed good, doesn't seem to, to work with us. Because it's not sharp like it needs to be. You need to be sharp. So what is learning in the realm of the Spirit? What is learning? What is practice? And what is training? Well, learning, of course, you've you got to learn the Word. You've got to make sure you're learning the truth. You learn untruth, it won't help you. You gotta learn the truth. You gotta study the word. You gotta, you know, when you're in church, when you're listening to uh, podcasts of other services, uh, uh, listening to the word, when you study the word, when you read the word, this is your learning time. This is time when God is is putting into you the the know-how of what to do. And you read over scriptures, you read over places, and all of a sudden the spirit of God speaks to you and gives you revelation about that scripture. And you are learning. But then you're going to go out. And there's training and there's practice. Practice is when you put to work what it is that you've learned. I just learned this in the Word of God. I can do this here. And you practice in a, in a, a certain type of environment. You're not, you're not necessarily in the, in the thing, but you know I'm, I'm practicing learning how to listen to that voice. 
And it, it comes up on the inside of you. Go to the store. All right, right now? Yeah, go to the store. So this is the time I could be practicing. I could be practicing doing what I, I should be doing in the area of the Spirit. Just, just get myself ready. Just practicing. Just getting going. Training is this. Training. Uh, there's certain kinds of prayers. When you pray in the Spirit, you know what you're doing? You're building yourself up. That's training. Training makes you strong. Training builds you up. It gets you ready. When you pray in the Spirit, you're building yourself up. If you don't pray in the Spirit, you're letting go part of the training. You're not doing some of those things. When the enemy comes and he's, he's trying to get you to fall off of what you know to do, part of your training process is to resist him. It makes you stronger. If you don't resist him, you don't train. You're not getting yourself ready. Training makes you stronger. Practice gets you better at what you need to do. And learning tells you how to do it. And you need all three facets going on to get yourself ready. If we're not getting ourselves ready in those things, when we're out there and we're in the battlefield, what do I do? Folks, we have been out in the battlefield sometimes and we're saying, I don't know what to do. God, I don't know what to do. God, help me. Help me. I don't know what to do. I'm out here in the battlefield. The enemy is coming at me from this way. The enemy is coming out from it. I don't know what to do. And God says, you didn't practice. You didn't train. I gave you opportunity. You didn't practice. You didn't train. Jesus called his disciples and they came up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They went to the garden and they prayed. And Jesus called his three disciples and he said, pray with me that you enter not into temptation. What's he trying to get them to do? Train. Train. Get stronger. Get stronger. If you get stronger now, when that, opportunity, when that comes, you'll be ready for it. You're going to be ready. But they didn't do it. And what happened? They faltered. They faltered. Jesus didn't falter. He didn't falter. Prayer is a place where you get stronger. The Word is a place where you learn. Prayer is a place where you get stronger. Praying in the Spirit is a place you get stronger. You need to pray. You need to develop that, that side of it. But then when you're out there in the world, you're out there interacting with people, you may not be facing the battle, but the Spirit of God's coming up on the inside of you and He's telling you to do something. When you do it and you practice, ah, that was God. I didn't know it was God. I just thought it seemed good to me to do. I, I didn't know that was God. I just think, hey, it seems like a good idea to go get some coffee right now. And you went out and got some coffee and all of a sudden an opportunity came up. I didn't, I didn't know that was God. I just thought I wanted coffee. And you went out there and you did it. Learn. Practice. And train. You're getting yourself ready. Battles are coming. They're coming. You will face some battles. Whether you're ready or not. To be determined up to you. See, a lot of times we get into the faith movement and we think, oh, I'm going to face a battle. I just believe God. Glory to God. I just believe God. That battle will be over. <coughs> That's hogwash, folks. If that worked, should have worked for Peter, James, and John. They didn't. They didn't train. You need to train. You need to get yourself ready. God is going to lead you into some things to get you trained. If we had time, we'd go through Daniel's life. Daniel was a life of training, practice, and learning. And he kept getting better and better, and better, and better. Pretty soon, this guy would not be toppled by anyone. No one could take him down. Can you imagine that? No one 
could take down Daniel. Daniel never got proud about that, but no one could take him down. He, He was tough. He was tough. Some of you are facing some battles right now. And you need to listen to that voice on the inside of you. You should have been training a little earlier. But thank God he's got some mercy for us. He'll help us out. You're facing some stuff and you don't know what to do. Now, here's a problem that comes in, especially in the area of health. How many have ever faced an issue in health that kind of was perplexing to them? Here's the problem that comes in with this. More so than anything else. I'm not picking on anybody here. We've all had health. I've had health issues. We've all had health issues. This is an area that will pull you down real fast simply because of this. In the area of health, more than anything else, there are experts we can rely on. And what we do is we go from listening to the voice of God to the voice of others. And they will tell you to do things that they think are right, but it's not what God is telling you to do. It's not what God's telling you to do. What is God speaking to you to do? You got to find that out. You got to say, well, you know, what's going on with this? Because God is going to speak to you. But as soon as you start listening to other voices, this is what can happen. I'm not saying it happened to anybody here. I'm just saying this is what can happen. You stop relying on the voice of God on the inside of you, and you rely 100% on the voice of doctors. And we sit around and we say, well, the doctor said, and we don't do it anymore. Now, I'll tell you what, we all can be, be subject to this. I've had many doctors over the course of my life. Over the course of that time, those doctors, almost every one thinks running is a bad idea. Almost every doctor I've had thinks running is, well, all right, we'll put up with this with you, you know, but you ought ought to quit. Almost every doctor I've had thinks I'm killing myself because I run. Almost every one. Handful of ones that didn't. One guy who, uh, who fixed my orthotics last, it was a, a, a triathlete. He was a bigger runner than I was. He did not think running was bad for you. But I've had many people tell me, you need to quit running. You need to stop. Don't do it. Now, we went through some things here in the beginning of the year. I, talk, I relate my experiences in, in health and healing to help you all. As I learn stuff, I want you all to, to know it too. And, uh, you know, the end of last year, December of last year, I had a problem that came up in my hip sent a problem down my leg, and started messing with my knee. I went to two, three different doctors, and I told them all the same thing. It started in my hip, it went down through my leg, and it's messing with my knee. I said to every single one, it's not a knee problem. It's a hip problem. And every single one, I mean, they had to work on the knee because the knee hurt. They had to work on the leg because the leg hurt. But no one could get at the hip. No one could figure out what's going on with the hip. And most of these folks were telling me, quit running. And I went from running 100 miles in January and November of last year per month to 13 in January. 13 miles I ran in January. That's it. I ran a little bit more than that in February. Because people were telling me, don't run. March didn't run much more. I was listening to people telling me what to do. I told you some of the experiences already on this. I finally got to a place in May 
I said, you know what? I'm going to do what I feel in my spirit I need to do. And you know what my spirit told me to do? Steve, you're a runner. And this constantly went over me. Runners run. I said, yes, they do. Yes, they do. And I went on a streak of running 55 days in a row. 55 days in a row, I ran. I turned in for the month of June 160 miles. And the problem get, was getting better. It wasn't gone. It was getting better and better and better. August came around. I said, I was, I was talking to God about it. I said, God, what am I going to do about August? August is a problem month for me. We went away for the, for the winter retreat. I had four days. It was going to be really tough for me to do what I knew in my spirit. I knew it was supposed to be doing. And I, I only got out, I think, uh, uh, two of the days, one or two of the days of the days we were, we were going on that. Then another thing came up. We had the meetings with Jay and Tammy. And I got to run none when they were here. And then we went on vacation. And, you know, when you're on vacation, family wants you to be vacationing. But we got out to a few places. But by then, the things had started to fall apart. And the leg was, was not doing well. And my mileage not only went down in August, I couldn't get it back up in September. I couldn't run much in September. Having a hard time. It was really sore. My wife kept saying, going over, talk with those people right here. No, no, no. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. I wasn't going to go. Because I'm tired of people telling me don't run. So finally, it was, it was painful driving. It was painful, all kinds of things. I'm going to go. So I went on out there and went. And we worked on some things. And I, I, I did what I knew to do. I worked myself back and got myself into the schedule of what I was supposed to do. And started running. Got the mileage back on up. And um, in November... I'm sorry, in October and November this year, I ran 130 miles both months. It was good. Things were going good. The mileage was coming up. And the pain was going away, and we're getting less and less. And I went over to this doctor that she was talking about, and, and uh, he has a whole different type of therapy. And you know what's really funny about this one? The doctor's a runner. They have signs all over the office about how good running is for you. They never one time, there's two of them there, never one time said, don't run. Every time they come in, they say, how'd you run this week? How far did you go? What were you doing? They're always asking me about it. They, they, they kept encouraging. Kept going. So I kept running, kept running. We are on, on course right now. I'm able to drive without the pain in my knee, hardly at all. And this month, I am on course to get 200 miles in. First 200-mile month in a long time. Listen to you. I don't say that because 200 miles means nothing to you. It's, it's not a big deal. That's not the issue. The issue is this. Listen to the voice of your spirit. You can go to a doctor. A doctor can help. A doctor can do some things. Whatever this therapy is, it's, it's called RT something or other. I don't know all the ins and outs about it, but I know it has helped. It has done some things to, to, to work it out. And uh, For the first time in a year, I can actually go out and run and not stretch. I haven't been able to do that in ages. Always got to move things, stretch things out, get things ready. I can just go out and run. That's cool. But listen to the voice of your spirit. What is your spirit telling you to do? What is it? You've got to listen to that voice. Because what happens is we turn off that voice and we don't listen to it. We're not practicing. We're not learning. We're not training. And then we face the opposition. And you know what happens? We go right down. I don't want you to go down. I want you to to be victorious. You all want me to be victorious in the things that, that I face? Well, I want you to be victorious in the things you face. 
What is it that you face? I don't care what it is that you face, whether it's a health issue, whether it's a, 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 a weight issue, whether it's a, a blood condition, whether it's uh, high cholesterol or high blood pressure or problems on the job or problems in the neighborhood or problems wherever you find them, whatever it is that's going on, the best thing you've got is the voice down on the inside of you. And for some of these things, it's just going to seem good. I'll tell you what, most times I went out there and ran. You know why I did it? Seems like a good idea to go out and run. That's it. It just seems like a good idea to go out there and, and to do that. Listen to the voice of your spirit. He will elevate you to take you to places and, and do things. If I listen to people who were telling me before, I'd still be running 10, 13 miles a month. If that, that's no good. Listen to the voice of your spirit. If you've got something going on in your blood, God knows what you need to eat. Stop listening to your flesh. There's three voices that work on the inside of this. I didn't get to write this down. God gave this to me during the worship service. Three voices that, uh, that speak to us. One is the voice of God. The voice of God will lead you in a direction to be obedient to his word. Another is the voice of the, of the enemy. He will lead you in a direction to be disobedient to his word. Think of the uh, Jesus in the, in the wilderness. What did the devil try and do? Get him to disobey the word of God. What did the devil try and do to Eve in the garden? Get her to disobey the voice of God. There's a third voice. It's the voice of your flesh. It's the voice of your flesh. The voice of your flesh won't necessarily lead you to do the word of God or against the word of God. But the voice of your flesh is going to lead you to do what's comfortable. What's convenient? What's easy? What's desirable? But the voice of your spirit will take you places. You'll do some things that aren't easy. So you'll do some things that are hard. But the payoff is great. Here's the tough thing. Staying with whatever God says to do. Staying with whatever God says to do. Because if God speaks in your spirit that for your body you need to do this, it's, it's easy for a day or two. Easy for a day or two. But then down the road, things are going to come up. Things are going to happen. Things are going to try and get you to stop doing what you knew in your spirit you were supposed to do. And what happens is, folks, you are losing the battle in practice. Because you're not practicing what you know to do. And when you get into the thick of a real problem, you aren't ready. He won't be ready. Simeon was in the right place because he listened to his spirit. He didn't get there overnight. He, he got there to a place where the spirit of God could speak to him. Anna was, came in in that instant. Why? Because it's in her spirit to come out there and do it. They spoke things. Why? Because it came up in their spirit to speak these things. Silas is where? Where he could be teamed up with Paul because it seemed good to him to stick around. We read the book of Luke and enjoy it. We read the book of Acts. Why? Because it seemed good to somebody to write it down. There are some things that in your spirit right now seem good to do, but you're not doing them. They seem good to do, but you're not doing them. You know, if I did that, that would probably help me. But you're not doing them. When's it going to help you? When you do them. And once you start doing them, just know this. 
I tell, I tell you about running all the time, folks. I, you know I love to run. What I don't always tell you about is there are days I don't want to go. It's not because of the weather outside. Sometimes it's because I need to get this done. You know, these people want this bed out. These people want this. I need to get this done. And I feel pressure by getting all these things done. And to go out there and run, you've got to go out there. you got yourself ready. you got to go out there and do the run. You know, you go, uh, I go out and run. It's an hour. And you got to come back in. you got to get showered and cleaned up because people don't want to be near you after you got done a run. And, you know, that's a half hour. So you're looking, anytime I go out for a do a run, that's at least a two-hour commitment. Two hours out of the day to go out there and do it. There are some days I don't want to give up two hours, even though I love it. There are some days the weather is of such that, you know what? It's not looking like a good day to run. But you go out there and you do it anyway. Why? Because if you give up on one day, you'll give up on the next day. You'll give up on the next day. If God has shown you something to do, there is power in doing what he said, and there is power because you obeyed. If you don't do what God said to do, you don't get either of those powers going on. And you will falter. And you'll come back to God. And the devil will lead you in such a way as to say, God, why is this happening to me? God says, I'm trying to speak to you. I'm trying to get you out of it. Will we listen? Would you all stand up with me? Folks, every single one of you is facing an issue. You're facing a problem. You're facing some kind of thing going on in your life. God wants to help you. He does not always do it with angels. does not always do it with visions. does not always do it with bolts of lightning. He does not always have prophets of God come up and speak with, to you what you should do. But he will speak what you need to know. The question is, will you do it? Whatever it is that God says for you to do, whatever it is and however he says it, just know whatever you face will be greater than the force of what he told you. Because everything he calls us to do takes faith. Everything he calls us to do takes faith. There is a step with it. There is a step to stay with what you are doing. There is a step to change what you are doing. Faith is not in change. Faith is not in staying the same. Faith is in doing what God said to do. What is God telling you to do? What has God told you to do? If God has already told you, he doesn't need to tell you again. What has God spoken to you to do? Remember back in the first miracle, back in Canaan, what did Mary say to the people? Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever God has spoken to you on the inside, do it. Do it. Don't rely on experts. They can help you. Don't shun them. Don't shun them. Don't have, faith is not in shunning doctors or people that are experts in their field. That's not faith at all. Faith is hearing what God says and doing it. And staying with it when it seems like it's, it's falling apart. Can you stay with what God is telling you to do? If you stay with it with a week, two weeks, three weeks, how, what, what, is your, what is your level of determination? What is your level of, uh, how, how far can you stick with it? The more you practice, the more you train, 
the more ready you will be. You can endure longer. One more thing for you. Faith works by patience. You only have, uh, somebody say, you only have as much faith as you have patience. If your patience gives out, so is your faith. You've got to have endurance. You've got to be ready. You've got to be willing to do whatever God has said to do to the end. So I ask you this again. What has God said to do? What has God said to do? Nicola, if I can get you to come back up here to hear the piano. Any of the singers want to come on up with them, that'd be great too. If you want ministry, want someone to pray over you for this, I, I know I got this thing. I, I need to hear from God. I haven't heard from God. If you've already heard from God, you need to do what God told you to do. But if you haven't quite heard from God yet on it, what has God said to do? What is God speaking to you? What is God saying to you? Very head bowed, your eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, I would like prayer because I got an issue. I got something going on in my body. I got something going on in my life. I've got something going on in my job. I've got something going on with this, or whatever it might be. Whatever is going on. I got something going on. I know God wants to speak to me about this. I need to hear from Him. If that's your, your case, raise your hand up. I need to hear from God. I haven't heard from God on this yet. I need to hear from God on this. Okay, we got one. If you're here today and you say, I have heard from God. I know what I'm to do. I haven't done it. I haven't started or I have started it and I keep falling off. That describes you. Raise your hand. A couple of people like that. All right. If you raise your hand at all for any of these things or if you didn't raise your hand and you should have, come on and you want prayer. If you don't want prayer, stay where you are. But if you want prayer, come on up here to the front. We want to pray over you for these things. God wants to help you in whatever it is that you take on, whatever it is that you do. God wants you to be ready. God wants you to be equipped. God wants you to be made strong so that no matter what you come against, you can endure. We need to get ourselves ready so that when God speaks something small and still on the inside of us, we hear. Glory to God. I need to do that. I need to do that. And no matter what that comes against you, no matter what that comes against you, you will not falter. You will not give in. You will stay with it. We're going to pray over you. I don't need to hear all your situations. I don't need to hear all the things going on. You don't need to hear from me. You need to hear from God. When you hear from God, you need to take that thing that He says and you need to hang on to it. And you need to not let it go. You need to grab hold of that thing and you need to hold on and say, Father God, I don't know how I can do this. He'll come up with a way. He will come up with a way for you to do it. If you need to get it done, if he's saying you need to do this, he will come up with a way. Glory to God. We're going to pray over here. Yes, my wife, come on up here too. Glory to God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Clear to hear. Ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Ears to hear. Father God, I thank you for that endurance. To keep on keeping on. To not falter. 
to stay on. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we thank you for the strength. Glory to God. Glory to God. That strength that rises up right now in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you. She had that was this week, right, Susan? The author event didn't work out, but she had an opportunity to witness to one of the authors. Um, she said she wasn't very receptive, but she now has her on her prayer list. Praise God. Seeds were sown. Amen. Um, Susan said she's thankful for the good day that she had with her mom yesterday. Also, a lot of questions that she had on some business matters were answered with a little effort on her part. Daryl said he received a check to help pay for Alicia's tuition from someone that they don't even know. (laughs) Another one from Daryl, he said that he had a mechanical failure on a job this week. He tried to fix it by himself, um, and when he couldn't make things work, he came to his senses and asked the Lord for wisdom. (laughs) The Lord showed him that they already had the replacement part that they needed with him, They were able to fix it and complete the job, and the customer wants to use them on a future project that's bigger than the one that they did so far. Amen. Any other praise reports? I have a challenge for everybody for this week. I was thinking about this all week long, and I said, you know, these praise reports are awesome, but it's only, a lot of times it's most about what God's doing for us. But with where God's taking us this year, with regards to the area of prayer, and... um, some other things my challenge to you is this the next praise reports that you bring in tell us about how it's going with the people you've been witnessing to the people you've been praying for the people you've been believing to come into the kingdom they don't have to have given them hearts to the lord already but just i want to hear how it's going you know is god opening doors for you to witness to people are you seeing the open doors <laughs> to witness to people? You know, so come in with some, some uh, praise reports about evangelism, how it is that we're, we're witnessing to folks. Mm-hmm. You're not going to sing just yet. 